1 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to look here at signs of a conversion, signs of a new convert here with this man, Naaman, and I'm really encouraged by this today. I was I studied this last week a little bit, and I started reading today. I'm like, man, this is really good. This is good stuff. It's only uh, a few verses here, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. There, those verses, uh, first, or Second Kings, pardon me, Second Kings 5, Second Kings 5, verses 15 to 19. One of the things that, before we start reading it, one of the things that we, as a normal Christian uh, in this day and age, one of the things you want to see in your life is you want to see somebody else become a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. We want to see people um, saved and have eternal life. And one of the words for that, becoming a Christian, is called conversion, being a convert. And it's, that's a great word to describe becoming a Christian, converted. It means different than what you were. It, it sounds different, it's, it uh, looks different, and it functions differently. When converted, it is different. And the Bible describes a person who was not a Christian and then becomes a Christian as a convert. And so we want to see genuine con- conversions in our life, in our church. Um, we don't merely want to see people and then not converted in just a sustained crowd of people. It's nice having a crowd, but sustaining a crowd of people that never convert is a problem. We want to have a crowd but we want to see some conversions come out of a crowd or an audience conversions come out of that. So what, this, what does this have to do with this passage? You see Naaman, who was not an Israelite, he didn't have the Judeo ethic, he was an enemy really, and he gets physically healed and you see it in his skin. He was a leper, he gets healed And you see it in his skin. His skin was like the skin of a child. But something happened spiritually. And you see it in his value system, even in just these handful of verses. This guy appears to me to be an Old Testament version of a convert. So let's read this, and we're going to look at five signs of a new convert. And I think we can relate with this today and look for them and hope for them in our work and trying to lead somebody to the Lord. Look at 2 Kings 5. Um, He had just experienced God's miracle in his body of being cleansed of leprosy. And his flesh was like the little child, and now he's different. Verse 15, he returned to the man of God. He went up from Jordan and finds where Elisha is. He and all his company and came and stood before him. And he said, behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, that is Elisha, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will not receive, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. And this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, 
and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he, that is the prophet, said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. There's more to the story. It's another side, but does not diminish the beauty of Naaman's conversion. This is really cool. Go ahead and let's see the first picture, Grant. We just have two pictures. This is when God's solution for Naaman was not merely when he had leprosy. God's solution was not, oh, you need the Jordan River dunking seven times. It was primarily you need to humble yourself and accept whatever I say. And he, we talked about God's solution for Naaman was humility. And he, he went down to Israel. He went down to the Jordan Valley, and he went down in the Jordan River and dunked up and down seven times, and his flesh came again as a little child, and he was healed. This guy experienced physical healing. It showed on his skin, and now we see he experienced some kind of spiritual, it looks like spiritual conversion, and it shows in this moment. Again, we said this, when a person turns to Christ, it's called conversion. And when they're converted, according to the Bible, and it's not all, you know, everything's drastic all at once, but it looks, it sounds, and it works differently. If I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, after a while, it should be that I look a little bit differently, which is surface. I sound a little bit differently, which is kind of surface, but certainly I should work differently, which is, which is showing true nature. Just like if you wonder, did I really plant an orange tree? Oh, it's sprouting. But we know when you start producing oranges, ah, there's oranges. It's an orange tree, all right. And so um, here with Naaman, we see some looking, sounding, and working differently. My dad, I, my dad we did some um, unusual cars in our, in our time. How many of you, raise your hand if you know what a tea bucket is? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of a tea bucket. All right, three of us in here. <laughs> so if I showed you a picture of it, most everybody would be like, oh, yeah, I've seen one of those. It's like a hot rod thing. It's literally a tea bucket is, um, it's actually no wider than three. It's probably, it's no wider than that. It might even be a little more tall. And it's literally only room for, it's probably two, it's probably two and a half. It's literally only room for like two and a half chairs. And it's a, it looks like a, you're in just like a bathtub. And um, imagine like a, just kind of a big bathtub like this, the back of it. It's a car. Okay? This is a, telling you about a 1929 tea bucket that we painted one time. It's just a little thing like this. It's just like you're sitting in a cab, no top. And then there's a dash, small little dash. You got the steering wheel, brake, gas pedals. I'm looking toward it. And then there's a, what's called a firewall, and that's it. And the engine's there. It's just like you're sitting in this little bowl, and you got a passenger, you got a steering wheel, brake, and gas pedal, shifter. Some of them they put more on it, like they would have back fenders, they would have uh, sometimes a hood on them. But we did what was called a 1929 T bucket, and, uh, and it did have, behind it, it was kind of had a little back, small, teeny tiny trunk. And uh, no top, of course, and uh, just a little windshield, a flat pane windshield. We did this. It was a 1929 T-Bucket. Now, normally, back in the day, uh, you know, I, 
I don't remember what they exactly were like, but they probably had a minimal type of engine in it, probably a little four-cylinder engine. And uh, it probably, you know, three speeds that you shifted, probably little rinky-dink tires, you know, small tires. And it went, you know, like a chitty-chitty bang-bang thing. I don't know. But it was very just kind of plain, and that's what it was. But see, when something like that a lot of times would come to our shop, it was like, oh, no, this is going to change. And that's exactly what happened. My dad had a friend named Roger Taro, and um, he never did anything normal to anything he touched, a motorcycle, a car, anything. So I could tell you other things we did for him was weird. Well, it was pretty, some of it was cool. But he brings his tea bucket, and he says, Mike, I want you to paint this, and we're going to paint it red, and we're going to do this and that. So I'll tell you what our job was. Our job, we just painted it. It was a beautiful red and glossy and all that. But he did the rest. And what he did was he had a custom frame made for it. And then the engine, he had a, he had a Kawasaki motorcycle. And it had a pretty, I don't know what the dimensions of this engine were, but it was pretty hefty for a motorcycle engine. He put a motorcycle engine in this tea bucket instead of a normal car engine. Kawasaki motorcycle engine. Kawasaki's made in Japan. Okay? Kawasaki motorcycle engine. And, and, then he, and then he, the way he hooked it up was to a normal drive line of a car with a regular transmission. So it actually had two transmissions. It had the one built into the, next to the motor. Then it had this regular transmission. And then it had a drive line. And then it, this thing must have been powerful enough to where he actually had pretty decent big tires on the back. And this thing had some power to it. And then the front tires were kind of small. It kind of had that little hot rod look. And so we had this beautiful, glossy, little hot rod, good-looking thing, and um, it had this an American car with a Japanese motor, and Roger took me on a drive. I think we went to uh, Dairy Queen in downtown Mesa or something. And he took, that thing was quick. It was really quick, had those big, fat tires. I thought, man, he's doing something there with that motor. It was fairly light anyways. And, but here's what was funny. Do you know what a rickshaw is? How many of you raise your hand if you know what a rickshaw is? All right, a rickshaw was invented. I think it was actually invented by a Baptist missionary. You should check that out. I read that in a Becca one time. I learned from my kids' homeschool books. Anyways, a rickshaw, this guy, the story I heard was a Baptist missionary. His wife had some physical problems. He invented this thing to put her in and carried her around in, in Japan like this. It's like a little wagon in reverse, and he's walking this way, and you know, and so now there's, there's a lot of rickshaws in some places in the Orient, and, and it seems to be a novelty. They might do it here in certain places. And Go ahead. You got a comment? Okay, cool. Yeah, all right. That's pretty cool. All right, inventive. So he, he has this, this guy. There was, you know, in Japan, they have the rickshaw, and they go around, and they, they carry people. It's like a, their own taxi. So here's what Roger did. Here he has this little tea bucket thing that people sit in, Little Kawasaki motorcycle engine, Japanese motor. And so what he did was he put a cartoon picture. I had a guy do a graphic cartoon picture of a guy, a, a Japanese guy with this hat, and he's like this, holding a rickshaw, but his feet are tires spinning like this. And you know what it says? You know, rice tea. <laughs> Rice tea, that's what he called it, because the tea bucket 
Right, Steve? Come on. Okay. That was pretty cool. That was a pretty neat conversion. I like that. I like that. That was pretty neat. And we can tell you about other, I put some notes of some other really funny or neat uh, vehicles that were converted from one thing to another. But, but when he did that, it looked what it was before. It looked different now. What it sounded like before, it definitely sounded different when, when Roger was done with it. And how it functioned before, it definitely functioned differently now. Everything was better. And so that was pretty neat. And so here with Naaman, Naaman, even though he had these positions, he was, he, his, his faith was not in the, the true God. His body, of course, was another story. God heals him of that. But the most important thing happens to him. It looks like, to me, a conversion. Number one, let's notice five signs. We'll walk through this. Five signs of new life. Number one, he confesses the narrow way. That's a sign that you've been converted. He confesses the narrow way. So he comes up from the, from the river. He comes up from the river. He goes and finds the man of God. Look what verse 15 says. He returned to the man of God. He and all his company and came and stood before him and he said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. <laughs> I like that's good sound there. I bet uh, Elisha was pretty happy to hear that. Whoa, yeah. Here comes Naaman. Naaman, you can hear he's coming up from the river. Maybe Gehazi's like, Naaman's coming back. He's coming back. And Elisha's waiting for him, and Naaman comes up, and he's got his whole entourage, the horses, the chariots, and the clattering of the, the implements, and the, 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 all the harnesses, and they come up, do, 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 do. and he stands before Elisha, and he says, I know, there's no God anywhere, but the God here, that's it. He didn't say, you know, we got a lot of gods back there, but this one's the best. Nope. He said, there's none, there's none. They don't exist. It's all phony, basically what he's implying. There's only this one. That's it. Now, this is a good sign. This guy is confessing a narrow way. And that's what we got to remember. We have the faith of the gospel is a narrow way. It's saying there's no other saviors. There's no other God but the triune God. There's no other savior but Jesus Christ. And there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We affirm that. Jesus said, Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be that find it. But narrow is the way, and, and straight is the path that leads to life eternal, few there be that find it. This guy shows up and says, that's it. This is the only one. I like this. He shows up. He says it in front of all his acquaintances and co-workers. Look what it says in verse 15. He returned to the man of God. He and all his company. That sounds kind of big when you say company. So he has all his other Syrian big shots, maybe some cap, other captains and lieutenants and other soldiers, and they're coming up. They're all up here. And he makes this confession of faith. I don't know if they believed, but he says it. This is where I'm at. He confesses the narrow way, the faith in the true God of, the God of Israel, the true and living God. He speaks up. You know, it's a good thing. The Bible says in Romans 10, 11, Remember how we, we use Romans road to lead somebody to the Lord. Here's you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. One of the verses in there, it says, Whosoever believeth on him should not be ashamed. That means if you really believe, it's going to come out. And silence is concerning. If somebody says, oh, yeah, I believe, I believe. 
but they never say anything. There's never a confession of faith, and there's, they avoid baptism and all. That's like, that's concerning. Because the Bible says whoever believes on him should not be ashamed. But here this guy says, nope, this is it. There's no other. I mean, he might have been insulting some of these other guys. Maybe one of these other guys' dad was a priest in this other pagan house. Nope, that's it. He's kind of like saying, your dad's wasting his time as a priest in the house of Rimen. He didn't care. He confesses in their way. Number two, he cares. He cares to give an offering. He doesn't get to, and there's a reason for that, but he cares enough to. Look what he says in the middle of verse 15. Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Go to the next slide, Gideon. Or uh, Gideon. Uh, Gideon would be nice to have here. Uh, Grant, go to the next slide. we got two G's in the family here. Actually, three, Gabriel. There is no God but in, all the, in the, all the earth, but in Israel. Now, therefore, look at the end of verse 15. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. So here he is. He's like, here, I have all this. Take a blessing. Let me, let me give you something. I got, I, I mean, his, his boss, his king, gave him a whole bunch of other stuff. And he said, can I just give you something? Now, in this case... Elisha was not authorized to do it. He said, verse 16, As the Lord liveth before him a stand, I will receive none. Nope, not going to take it. Verse 16, he, he urged him to take it, but he refused. So I want you to understand the dynamic here. I think what's happening is Elisha was not authorized to take this from him. Elisha wasn't saying there's something wrong with him. Elisha wasn't saying that this is wrong on his part heart or in his heart Elisha just was not supposed to do it did you know though that normally a lot of times these prophets received something and it was usually within their own country sometimes they'd bring a gift to the man of God and they would receive it sometimes they would get one sometimes they wouldn't but in this case I think God's will for Elisha was like no let's just this is a foreign country they need to just see this as pro bono or whatever that there's no, I'm not in this for profit, profit. And this is symbolizing the gift of God. Those are just some, I think, reasonable conclusions to show, to testify to the Syrians the nature of God's gift, the nature of God's profit. So, but let's focus on the intention here of this guy. This guy immediately is like, man, I'm so thankful. I want to give something. <laughs> He's trying. Look what it says at the end of verse... Um, 16, he urged him. I mean, can you imagine this? This is a, this is a big shot. Uh, this is the highest official in the Syrian army. I urge you! <laughs> and he couldn't take it. Oh, he wanted to, though. Uh, he's determined, but he was determined to continue giving. Watch this. When he urged Elisha, and Elisha says, no, no, we can't do it. He still thought to himself, you know, I'm still going to give. Look at verse 17. And when he gets back home, he was already planning still to give. Naaman said, shall there then, not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burdened of earth. We'll talk about that in a minute. For thy servant, here's what I want you to see. For thy servant will, hence, will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I'm still going to give. I'm not going to give to the other, other gods. I'm only, I am going to give to the Lord. He used God's name right there. Yehovah, unto the Lord. So isn't that neat? He's determined to, to give. 
Number three, here's signs of... So, well, let, before we go to that, think about this. It's a good sign when somebody's got a compulsion to, to give in an offering or to give substance to somebody because of their gratitude toward God. It's a good thing, like, oh, I want to give to the Lord. I want to give to the Lord's people. That's good and natural. And that's what you see in this guy. Number three, he commits. He commits to worship. A worship that's with an association to God's people. Look at what it says here. He doesn't get to worship with God's people, but he wants to. He wants to. Look at verse 17. Since Elisha wouldn't receive this, Naaman says in verse 17, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules' burden of earth? Now that's, when I first read that, I would just read through it and I'm like, ah, whatever. But you know what's happening here? You know what he's saying? <laughs> he's like, can you fill a couple truckloads of from Israel? I want to take it back home with me. Isn't that weird? I have at home, um, I saved a little bit of soil from when Deb and I went to Tennessee. I think I still have it. We went to Tennessee one of the times when we were there with Susie. And we went through, it's really beautiful in Tennessee. We went to this one area where they, it was one of the most profitable gold mining areas back in the day, like 1800s or something. They found some from panning, somebody was panning, and then they found some more, and I think they mined. It was in one of those, I don't know, the Smoky Mountains or some of the southern ones on your way to Chattanooga. But there was an area, and I remember reading this, and like, this was profitable. This is one of the most profitable gold mining things was in, in the United States, over here in um, this part of Tennessee, these mountains. It was beautiful mountains, and there was a beautiful river. And I thought, man, this sounds so cool. I just, wow. And so I just took some of the, I actually took some of the soil out of the river <laughs> and put it in something. I took it back with me. I don't know why I did that. I just, like, oh, that's pretty cool. I have soil from one of the most important mining places. And uh, I don't know what else to say about that, but this guy, this guy, <laughs> this guy, is, this is more important. You see what he's doing? He's thinking, wow, this is where the real God is. This is where real, God's real people are. Can I take some dirt home? Shall there not then be given to thy servant two mules' burden of earth? And then he goes on to talk about how he's going to do a different offering. It's almost like saying, I wonder if he's taking it back and back in his home. He's like clearing an area like, put the dirt down there. And that's where my altar's going to be. I don't get to go back to Israel, but I'm going to do something here. I'm going to worship here. I'm going to give my offering here because this reminds me of this is where the real thing is. God's people were standing on this dirt, and I wish I was with them. That's a good sign when somebody gets saved that they want to be with God's people. It's kind of like when a baby's born in a family, they, they, you're in that family. Those are your brothers and sisters. Those are your mom and dad right there. Be around them. That's natural. That's like when people fuss and argue about, you don't have to go to church to worship God, man. Of course you don't. You can worship God anywhere you want. That's not the point. You can worship God anywhere you want. Church isn't all about worship. It's about getting together with family. They're calling you together. Don't be rude. If you're really saved, get with family. And that's what we're doing tonight in part. But anyways, he wanted, to, he wanted to commit to worship in association with God's people. He's taking the soil with him. It's too many in this day and age, and we'll move on to the next point here. Too many in this day and age want to be isolated, right? Now, I want to be my isolated. I want to do church. I 
computer. I want to do my own study, and I don't want to touch and mess with people that could be icky. But that's not how God originally designed church. It's organic and icky and messy. And, stuff. and that's, that's exactly how to be, just like a family. So he commits to worship. You can see this guy, if he could stay, he would stay. Number four, he's convicted already. What else? He's convicted about things. He's, look at this guy. Right off the bat, he's like, oh, man, this bothers me. Ugh. So look what he says. He's like, verse 17 says, I'm only going to offer to the Lord. I'm not offering to anything else anymore. Only to the Lord. And then he's like, oh, man, I got an issue. Verse 18, in this thing the Lord pardon thy servant. When my master goeth into the house of Rimon, that's a false god, to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. Do you see this? Have you ever been in a fix like that? You're like, I'm a Christian, but man, I, I, I got to go to this thing. Well, some things you don't have to go to, but this guy's a brand new convert. He's like, what am I supposed to do now? This guy was the right-hand man to the king. He, the language he uses, my master's leaning on me. He's depending on me, leans on my hand. This guy probably accompanied him to his pagan temple as a protector, as a whatever, maybe as a show. I don't know. He was a government official. They needed to go to all the stuff, all the ceremonies and the get-togethers and the handshakings and the photo ops, of course, you know what I mean. He had to go to all that stuff. He had to go to the little tea party things, or they didn't have tea parties, but whatever, maybe cocktail parties, I don't know. But he's like, man, that's what we always do. I got to go to that again. I got to go to this. I got to go to the temple. I got... And he's thinking, oh, man. He's already convicted about it. He already doesn't want to go. But he's thinking, I got to go. So you can see he's in this thing, this tension. Now, some of us that have dealt with that, we've figured a way to work ourselves out of that type of stuff, haven't you? But this guy's a brand new convert. What is he going to do? And he's, already, and he's already talking to the man of God about, the Lord, pardon me. Well, God, forgive me. I just need to be, I don't want to be there. I don't, I'm not worshiping, really. He's convicted. Government officials, he was expected to attend all the ceremonies. But you can see that he's convicted, that idolatry is wrong already. This is wrong. It's a bunch of nonsense. And that association, listen to this. You can see that this guy realizes that idolatry is wrong, and my association with isn't really honest with who I am. This isn't me. So he says, the Lord forgive me. He says it twice. The Lord pardon me. The Lord pardon me in this. I got to go. I got to be with my boss there. But it's a good sign. The point is, this is a good sign that he's even sensitive to this. Isn't that a blessing right there? Isn't it a blessing when somebody professes faith in Christ, they don't have things all fixed at once, but it's a blessing that's, that a conscience is turned on. And they're like, oh, Okay, well, wait a minute. Should that be? Or should it be like this? That is a great sign. I remember when Brother Cecilini, Steve Cecilini was saved, and, um, Amanda, uh, and then Amanda a couple weeks later. And then, I mean, I didn't go into his house and start telling him how to run his life, but I remember him just saying, you know what? I just, he said something off the cuff. He's like, we have all these Harry Potter books or movies or something. He goes, we just threw them all out. I'm like, oh, wow. I don't even know a lot about Harry Potter. I knew it was kind of getting into the witchcrafty type stuff. He goes, we just threw all that stuff out. I'm like, this can't be good for us anymore. I was like, oh, that's good. That's a good sign there, Steve. I mean, 
And so he immediately responded. He was sensitive that something to be different in how he functioned. And so you see this, a sign of a new convert. Number four, he's convicted. Last of all, you can kind of see this, and it's more of a brief point. You can see that he's craving a blessing here. He says, Lord, pardon thy servant. The Lord, pardon thy servant. He says twice to the man of God. And he waits. And the Bible doesn't say a lot. It just says, verse 19, Elisha, he said unto him, go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. So do you see what's happening here? You see this this conversation and the conversation about giving and his intent to worship the true God and that he doesn't really want to, he wants, he has to go with his boss in there and the Lord pardon thy servant. And he's waiting there. It's almost like, can you just give me something back here? It's like he's wanting a blessing. And to go ahead. And, and so Elisha's basically is like, it's hard to read between the lines there, but Elisha's like, okay, go your way. All right. All right. So he goes his way. It's like you can see he wants some kind of blessing. He wants some kind of, a, of approval of some sort. And he does, and he moves his way. You know, it's good to want, to, to want a blessing, to want some advice from somebody who's a man or woman of God. It's good to have that. And that's what this guy gets. So here we are, signs of a, a new convert. Again, we've th- we got to think to ourselves, Oh, Lord, let us see some Naamans saved. Let us see some Naamans converted. Let me look around at anybody who made a profession of faith and say, Are they really a Naaman? Are they still in their leprosy and their, in their pagan mentality? You know? And say, God, give us some Naamans that get really saved. And it was less about the changing of his skin and more about the changing of his nature. That's what it's about. And so let's pray for that. And um, oh, let me say one more thing. This is a blessing. Think about this. Think about this. How did all this start? How did all this get started? Little girl. That's a convert right there. I mean, the Lord's convert through her. Look at this. This little girl, orphaned little girl working in Syria. Poor little thing, deprived of her parents. And she says, oh, I wish my boss had a, the prophet that's in Israel. He would help him. And this guy gets saved. Imagine him coming back home. Where's that little lady at? Where's little, what's a good little name? Ruthie, you know. Where's little Ruthie at? Thank you, sweetheart. Maybe gave her a hug. Didn't have to hesitate this time because he was healed. You know, what did she do? All she did, and by the way, this is a a good thought. All she did was obey in the sense of tell, choose a witness, and that's our job. Just obey in being a witness, and God does the outcomes. (laughs) We're responsible for the obedience. God's responsible for the outcome, and she got a blessing on God's outcome through her obedience. Maybe we'd be like that little lady. Lord, thank you for letting